Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by a special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Well, I get the beautiful honor to announce my friend uh, Seth Dahl, who's going to be speaking with us tonight. He is a fantastic man. Man, I love your shirt, by the way, and I love your new haircut. You're looking fly. Um, I got the honor, uh, my wife and I, to serve under him um, in Bethel Reading uh, when he ran and oversaw the kids' ministry there. He is amazing, and he never gets older. I don't know. I think you're like 75 years old, and you look like you're 25. Um, but there's actually there's an anointing on this man to, to give joy, um, an influx of joy into people, and to lead people straight into the heart of God. So let's welcome Seth. Stand up and clap for him. I love you, man. Hello, hello. Hope all of you are well in your homes or wherever you're watching. There's just a few of us in the studio. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Preaching sermons, not to people, to, to cameras. But um, America's a little bit hectic right now and a little bit crazy. And there's so many things going on. I'm going to try to talk about some of them. And just want to bring God's word, God's heart, God's voice into some situations. But uh, I think the title of this message is called Wisdom, the Unstoppable Voice, and Learning to Honor. So I was just reading James 1 the other day, and here's what it says in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy... That means think of it as a joyful situation when you fall into various trials. Come on, we're kind of in various trials right now. All different varieties of trials are going on right now, and the Bible is telling us, count it all joy, brethren, Christians, believers. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So I'm going to stop right there because I, as I was reading this the other day, I realized, my gosh, the ability to have joy no matter what's going on. The ability to be joyful in the midst of various trials is directly connected to having wisdom. That means if we're not joyful right now, we're lacking wisdom. If we're lacking joy in the midst of hectic, crazy, chaotic times, it's because we're lacking wisdom. And God is saying, if you're not joyful right now, I want to give you wisdom, just ask. Solomon was known for his wisdom in the Bible. You know, God comes to him in a dream, says, what do you want? He asks for a heart that can hear. He asks for wisdom. Then he becomes king. All this stuff happens. But here's what's crazy. Solomon began this journey with God asking for wisdom, walking in wisdom, incredible wisdom. 
immediately people came to him with the baby and the whole situation, and he operated in the most crazy wisdom any government leader's ever seen. But he starts that journey with God as a leader, a government leader. He starts it in wisdom, but we know that later he doesn't finish with wisdom. He's got hundreds of concubines. He's got demonic idols all around in Israel. He just doesn't do well. You know what that means for us? Wisdom's not a one-time thing we get. You don't just get it once and then you have it forever. We need to keep asking. And right now is a season where we need to keep asking for wisdom. I don't care if we had it a year ago. I don't care if we had it a month ago. I don't care if we had it a week ago. I don't care if we had it yesterday. We need to ask for wisdom again. We need to keep on asking. Just because Solomon got it once didn't mean he sustained it. All right, that's point number one, wisdom. The next one is the unstoppable voice. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of stuff going on right now on the Internet. There's a lot of some censoring of Christian voices. It's been happening for a while. It's just becoming quite obvious to a lot of people. But um, censoring Christian voices isn't anything new. It's actually in the Bible. It's actually happened 2,000 years ago. It's nothing new. We've been here before. We've been in this situation before where Christians' voices, Christians preaching about Jesus, talking about Jesus, communicating the message of Jesus, have had their voices silenced, not just censored, full-on silenced. And so we're going to go to Acts. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to go to a couple other places. I'm telling you, this is weird. It's really weird preaching to a camera. Thank you, Eddie and Stephanie. Um, This is Acts chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17. But what's happening here is Peter and John have just healed a lame man. The religious people got mad. They've taken them into custody. And and here's, here's what this says. This is their conversation. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name, the name of Jesus. Like, wow, they're really trying to censor the Christians. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, you know, they're like, hey, you're trying to silence our voice. You're trying to make us quiet. You're trying to censor us. Nah, we're just going to keep talking. We're just going to keep talking about Jesus. It's kind of important to keep doing that. Um, but then look what happens in Acts chapter 7. Because they kept talking about Jesus, and so people kept trying to silence them. People kept trying to censor them. So this is Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Stephen has just preached an incredible message to a whole bunch of people. And it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And that was a good sermon. (laughs) You know, when religious people are gnashing their teeth, they've been cut to the heart, and you preached a real strong message. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
Come on, sometimes when, when people are trying to quiet your voice, you're in position for an incredible encounter with God. And, they, and he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. In other words, Saul is responsible for silencing and censoring the voices of believers. Are you with me? This is 2000, almost 2,000 years ago in the Bible. We've been here before. Where we're at right now with, with censoring of Christians' voices is nothing new. Saul is named as one of those responsible for doing it. But hopefully you know the story of Saul and what happened. It's kind of important that we look. When we find ourselves in a story presently, that's also a story in the Bible that we pay attention to what happens. So now let's go to Acts chapter 9. This is verse 1 through 6. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's like, look. Give me permission to silence all their voices. Not just silence their voices, put them in jail. We've already killed one, let's put the rest in jail. It's a little bit worse than a platform not putting your stuff out. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here's the rest of the story. Saul wrote a whole bunch of this. Saul became responsible for broadcasting the message of Jesus louder and longer than most other of the apostles. In other words, if you try to censor Christians' voices, you are positioning yourself to encounter the Christ and to become His voice. So as Christians who may be feeling like we're losing our voice, we're being censored, you got to just have hope. you got to just know, like, go ahead and censor us. You're in position to meet him. The more you try to stop us, the more you are positioned to meet him. And you might just end up being the loudest broadcaster of the gospel that's ever existed. This needs to be our prayer. This needs to be our prayer. Sure. Pray that they stop silencing voices. Pray that they stop censoring voices, sure. But you also need to pray for boldness when they are trying to censor you so that you can keep talking. But we also need to pray for the people who are censoring the voices that Jesus would show up while they're in the middle of attempting to silence more people's voices, more believers, attempting to silence it. And all of a sudden they get turned from Saul into Paul and they end up doing something like this. Man, that's good. That's how you can have joy in the midst of a various trial. Hmm. 
Man, that's a good word. I like it. All right. Another thing that's happening right now is a lot of people pulling down statues. I don't know if you know why statues are put up. Typically, they're put up to honor the good things that people have done. Sometimes they're put up to remember the bad things people have done so we don't repeat them. Now, I'm talking to believers right now. You're on this stream. You're on in this audience. You Hopefully, you're a believer. If you're not, you might be soon. <laughs> but they put up these statues to honor people, and now we're tearing them down. So I want to talk about, as believers, what our stance needs to be, what our heart posture needs to be in these situations. Honor is kind of an inch is is interesting and also it's of absolute importance to us. Absolute importance. Here's Bill Johnson's definition of honor. Honor is celebrating who God made a person to be without stumbling over who they're not. Without stumbling over their failures, without stumbling over their mistakes, without stumbling over their sin. That's honor. Here's what that means. I actually cannot fully honor a person until I've seen their mistakes, their failures, and their sins. I actually can't. I can pretend to honor you, but I've only seen your good side. I've only seen your personal representative. Because when you first meet someone, let's just be honest here, probably for the first few months, you've only really met their PA. Even though you're talking to them, they've got this persona on that you think you're talking to them. So it's like it's really easy to honor someone you just met. But you fully honor someone after you've seen their issues. It's kind of important we see these people's issues. It's kind of important we see George Washington's issues. So we as believers can choose to step into honor. It's kind of important we see Abraham Lincoln's issues. So that we as believers can choose Honor, not dishonor. It also means I can't honor them if I don't know who God's made them to be. So when I see a person's mistakes and failures and sins, I need to ask God, who did you make them to be? What do you say about them? I don't know if you remember Hebrews 11. We call it the hall of faith, but it's filled with people that had a lot of issues and a lot of bad stuff. But yet God honors them. And God speaks about them the way he sees them, not according to what they've done. Wrong. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> this is such a crazy deal. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished these parables, that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Now you just got to hear their voice there. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, 
Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? What are they doing? They're talking about who he is according to who his family, according to his earthly identity, not according to who God says he is. But they can see that he's walking in something different than just what a carpenter's son would normally walk in. He's not walking around with his little hammer and nails. He's walking around with healing and deliverance. And they're totally dumbfounded. And they can't figure out what's going on. They can't see him the way God made him to be. They only see him according to his family. According to how they know him as a child. Then here's what it says. Verse 57, so they were offended at him. So Jesus is doing these great things, but they won't see him the way God sees him, so now they're offended. They're not offended because Jesus did anything wrong. Jesus never sinned. They're offended because God would use somebody that they think he shouldn't use. That God would do something amazing through someone that they decided God should not use them. God should not use him. He's a carpenter's son. We know his whole family. God should not use this guy. What is God doing? Now they're offended at Jesus. Please, there is a massive spirit of offense going on right now in our country. And we got to break it. Here's what's so wild. The verse doesn't end. So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. You know, when you're in your own country, it's really hard to see the prophets God's put in your country. He's just calling it out. Jesus is just calling it out. A prophet, you're not looking at me like the prophet God made me to be. We know Jesus is more than a prophet, but here's what he's saying. You can, you're not honoring me. You're, you're offended at me, and you will not honor the prophet because I came from your own country, because you've seen everything about me, because you, know you think you know everything about me, and now you're offended. But now Jesus doesn't just stop at offense. He says, now you're in dishonor. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. (laughs) Mark says he could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. What's, what's, what? Jesus could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief? Jesus, Matthew says they were offended. Jesus said they were in dishonor. And then Matthew goes back and says, actually, it's unbelief. Offense, dishonor, unbelief. And that actually prevented Jesus from doing what God sent Jesus to do. It prevented their country from receiving what God wanted to do in their country, in their town, their town could not receive what God was trying to do because they dishonored who God had made him to be because they were only seeing him according to who they thought he was. And when we dishonor the people that God has done amazing things through, we actually prevent God from those things happening again. 
what does that mean? You rip down the Abraham Lincoln statue, you're in dishonor. No matter what his past was, he did something really great. Let's just be honest. He did something amazing. But if we dishonor him, we actually block what he did in the spirit realm from continuing. As believers, we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we should not be in support of tearing down statues. Look, I, I love to watch shows with my kids. Like, I've had this d- conversation on Facebook and Instagram and all over the place. I, w- I watch these movies with my kids where they're, where they're like, doing s- stuff. You know, the whole, all TV, all shows, all movies have stuff in them that we as believers don't agree with and wouldn't do. We watch sh- movies. Like, people were just writing me, like, well, what about the witchcraft in that movie? I'm like, I want my kids to see it. Like, what do you mean you want your kids to see it? I want my kids to see the witchcraft so that we can talk about it and we, 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 we decide what not to do. Just because they're doing witchcraft in a movie doesn't mean I need to be afraid of my kids seeing witchcraft. It means thank you for giving me a place to talk to my children about witchcraft and why we don't do it. Are you with me? I'm not afraid to have those conversations. I want my kids to go to a Holocaust museum so we can see what people have done in the past and we learn. That's what happens when you treat one race different than another. And we cannot do that ever again. That's the importance of the museum. And we go to a statue. I want, I will, I'll take my kids to statues of people who held slaves on purpose so I can say that is something we can never let happen again. We have to remember our past or we sabotage our future. Can't be afraid of their mistakes. Can't be afraid of their issues. We can't be afraid of their sin. Here's what's really crazy. If we as believers support the tearing down of statues, then we just position society to rip apart our Bible. Why? David had some pretty bad issues with a woman and then killed her husband. Solomon, 900 concubines. You think he handled women really well? You think he respected women? You think he was all for women? 900 concubines? Yet we read Proverbs all the time. Come on, if you're gonna, if we're gonna dishonor George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and any of those guys, then we have to rip out the Psalms, and we have to rip out the Proverbs. Abraham, Sarah, come on, God gave him a big promise, and Sarah's like, you know what? Take my slave, make a baby with her. We'll pretend like it's the promise of God. You hear me, Abraham? Take my slave. Abraham and Sarah had slaves. Yet God calls Abraham the father of our faith. You know what's so crazy to me? This whole thing, we got to look below the surface. We really got to look below the surface. (sighs) Pulling down statues is a spirit of self-sabotage. Motivated by self-righteousness. Come on, if I rip down anybody's statue, I think I'm better than them. And Lord knows, 
if I rip down someone else's statue, someone else's statue because of what they've done, their sins, their mistakes, then eventually I have to turn and look at me. I'm saying here, it's the spirit of self-sabotage. Oh, but I'm ripping down statues. We're ripping down statues of other people. Yeah. Any spirit you allow to flow through you will eventually turn on you. And if I treat them according to their failures instead of according to what God has said, instead of according to the cross, instead of according to the amazing things they did for our country and for our people, if I do that, eventually that thing's going to turn on me. And now I'm not just ripping apart my Bible. Now I've got to rip apart my life. Technically, it's the spirit of suicide, but self-sabotage is a much more word much better word for you sensitive christians yeah you have to you have to rip you have to you have to rip apart your life if you're going to rip apart theirs we have to do that that's what this spirit wants to do the spirit wants to actually rip apart the bible the spirit wants to actually rip apart believers the spirit wants to rip apart us when we choose to live in unforgiveness instead of honor. When we choose to live in dishonor instead of honor. Here's what's so crazy. People don't know this, but dishonor will pull into your life the exact same way honor pulls into your life. But if I celebrate a person for what who God's made them to be and I honor them no matter their mistakes, I actually pull their good. I pull the God stuff in their life into my own life. But if I dishonor them, I block, like they did with Jesus, I block what God has put in them, what God has said about them, I reject that, and I actually pull their failures into my life, and we end up repeating the very things we're attempting to tear down. I'm trying to help us as a country. Any justice that is not founded in forgiveness is not godly justice. It's merely revenge. We can't expect anything else from people who don't know they're forgiven. But the goal is not allow, not to allow their message of unforgiveness to become ours, but to allow our message of forgiveness to become theirs. It doesn't mean everything they did was right doesn't mean we support or agree with everything those people did. It means we learn. It means we grow. It means we make better choices in, in the present so our future does not look like our past. Now, I wasn't planning to say this, but I have to. And Dylan's like, delayed obedience is disobedience. And listening to the voice of God is really important. And we were just in worship a little bit ago, and I felt like the Lord wanted to share, me to share this because we're talking about forgiveness. We're talking about our country. We're talking about issues in our country. We're talking about challenges in our country. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about God's unstoppable voice, and we're talking about true justice. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about forgiveness. We're, we're, we're just talking about a lot of stuff. But when it comes to forgiveness, I had... The last time I shared this story, not the last time, one of the last times I shared this story, the religious people got all mad at me, really mad at me. They came at me. They were not happy with me. And, and I made it through. And I'm here. 
and I'm going to tell it again because it's very important for where we're at. I had a pastor really spiritually abuse me one time. Not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally abused me. And I was not doing well for quite some time. I was a pastor not doing well because another pastor spiritually treated me not so good. In a lot of pain, in a lot of anger, in a lot of stuff. And one day, I have this encounter with God. This is 14 years ago. I have this encounter with God where Jesus comes to me, and he picks me up, and he starts weeping. He holds me right in his chest, and he starts weeping. And he says, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. He's just crying. I look at him. I'm like, I don't understand. Please forgive you. Here's what he said. That pastor hurt you. He's a member of my body. Forgive me for what he did. He wasn't saying, forgive me because I've done anything wrong. He was saying, forgive me because someone who represents me, someone that's connected to me, did something wrong. I didn't do that to you. But forgive me. For what they did. You know what he was doing? He was making sure that there was nothing between he and I so that our relationship could be restored, so that our relationship could be re reconciled. He didn't do anything, but I was blaming him for it. I didn't know I was blaming him for it until he showed me. I know I'm 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 a white man. I've never held slaves. But our country's in a bad spot. I've never had slaves. Never once. Never even crossed my dang mind. But I'm a white man and I'm connected to other white men who did have slaves. My job is to make sure there's nothing between us. My job is to make sure there's nothing between the, the black community and the white community. Because we need forgiveness. Because we need justice. We need justice, not revenge. We need change, not repetition. We need something new for our future, not the same thing we've had in the past. We need honor, not dishonor. And I've never done it. I've never done I've never done that. I've never had slaves. But if you're a black member of the community, as a white man, I want to stand here and I want to ask you, please forgive me for something I didn't do, but something my people did. And if you're a person who's been hurt by the church, as a pastor, I want to say, please forgive me for what your pastors have done or haven't done, for not being perfect. And if you're blaming God, for what they did, please forgive him. Please forgive Jesus. Don't let anything be between you. You know what Jesus was doing? 
when he said, please forgive me for what they did, for what he did. He was refusing to take blame, but he was fully taking responsibility. We got a lot of people right now throwing a lot of blame around. You can't be blaming other people. You got to take responsibility. So I know you're in your house. I don't know how this is hitting you. I don't know. There's some people going around in the country right now trying to force people to ask for forgiveness and beg for forgiveness and force people to do this. If you force people to do that, it's not real. It's manufactured. No one told me to do this. No one asked me to do this. No one even said I needed to do this. I had a conversation with a black friend the other day, and he didn't tell me what I had to do. He told me what he needed. I'm standing here because I heard what you need from a black friend. They trust me. I trust them. A black father in my life. Don't let any unforgiveness be in your heart. Otherwise, we won't get the justice we so badly want. God, we pray right now for spirit of forgiveness to sweep our nation. Let it start with the Christians. Let it start between the whites and the blacks. Let it start in the Christians, the whites and the blacks and the browns. Let it start in the Christians. Let a spirit of forgiveness flood our lives. Let all the dishonor, let all the blame, let all the unforgiveness be gone. Let the revenge be replaced with forgiveness. Let revenge be replaced with justice. Let all those spirits, that self-sabotaging, dishonoring spirit be replaced with love and forgiveness, and mercy, and kindness, and grace so that our country can heal. God, we pray that you heal our country. We pray that you heal relationships right now between the black and the white community, the brown and the white community. Heal relationships through the power of forgiveness. Give us wisdom to navigate these various trials, God. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness to use our voice. Speak your word. God, we pray for the people trying to stop the word of God right now, that they would encounter you like no one else ever has. God, we bless America. I'm going to close with one more verse. I just thought about it, so we're going to close with it. We just had July 4th. I don't know when you're watching this, but when we're filming this, we just had July 4th. And I, I posted this post that said, God bless America. I love America. It's an amazing country we got here. We haven't always lived up to what we've been called to, but we're moving that direction. I posted this post, God bless America, and most people have a limited understanding of the word blessing. But I'm going to expand it right now. Here's what Acts 3.26 says. It says, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. He sent Jesus to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The blessing of God is the visitation of Jesus, the presence of Jesus that turns us from wickedness to righteousness. 
So we pray today as we wrap this up. I pray, God bless America. God visit America. Visit our cities. Visit our towns. Visit our homes. And bless us, God. Turn us from our wickedness. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.